And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. You're listening to The Leaf Report with Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel and the Athletic TO's James Myrtle. Happy February, James. I think we're recording. Yeah, we are. Okay. Let's get into this. So I think we should start, James, today. Uh, we have a sponsor, our first sponsor. So I will let you take the mic and get into our first sponsor. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, this is the biggest reason why we're able to record one of these every week. Uh, well, maybe the biggest reason is that so many people are listening. Our listenership is a lot higher than it has been in the past, and... Uh, it's really exciting. So in, as part of that, we now have a sponsor, uh, Bab Socks, which I think most people are familiar with, are going to be sponsoring us. So we're going to be doing this every single week except for in the summertime. And um, I'm trying to think where to where to start with Bab. I mean, Bab Socks are great. It's a great idea. It's a company that started by two young local guys in the east end of Toronto and uh, they're basically running the company now full-time. They have a shop up on uh, Mount Pleasant and Davisville. I don't have the address. We were supposed to talk about the address, but I don't have it. Um, I'll, I'll put it on Twitter. And um, it's become a full-time business for these guys. And what Bab Socks are is essentially they're novelty socks with Mike Babcock's face on them that have taken Leafs fans by storm. And, you know, I'm a I'm wearing Bab Socks right now. I'm a, a supporter of them, and it's kind of cool that they're a supporter of us. And uh, we just, you know, if you want to help support the podcast, buy Bab Socks because they, uh, they're supporting us. And Mike wears them too. Mike's a big fan, which is, is kind of neat for them. And I think for everyone to actually see, uh, I think you saw that picture at Christmas time where all of his family is basically wearing Bab Socks. So it's a pretty cool product so what what do you want to say i guess I, we got to point out that bab socks aren't run by mike babcock they're not owned by mike babcock the podcast is going to stay the same as it always was we're still going to be picking through the minutiae of 
what decisions Mike Babcock makes. And if we don't like them, we're going to say that. And it, it, there's no connection to the Leafs there or anything like that. It's just uh, it's uh, it's a sponsorship and uh, an affiliation with these two young guys running this company. And we're hoping that it it's it benefits the podcast, and we're hoping that it also benefits uh, Babsox. So check out their store and check out their websites, babsox.ca. And uh, and the socks are are nice. You know, I'm wearing them right now. They're they're comfortable and uh, they're they're worth your money. Okay. Without further ado, let's actually get into some leaf talk. Um, I think we'll start with the All Star Game ish. I don't know. There's not really anything leaf related besides. Austin Matthews, who is the youngest Leaf All-Star, I believe, since Wendell Clark in 86, I think, or 85. Um, he scored a goal in that weird game. I don't know if you... Did you like the format? Like, I thought the 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, like, it got a little bit... I don't know. It didn't have the appeal, but All-Star games generally suck. I watched, like, two minutes of those three-on-three games. I had a beer league game that started at 5 o'clock, so I had to leave at about 4 o'clock to go to it. And I just know from past years, especially since I've been doing this job, I've made it I've, I've made it an appointment viewing to watch the All-Star game. You know, maybe something happens or whatever. And I've always been disappointed in not only the game, but I've been kind of disappointed in myself that I kind of wasted the three hours of my life watching that. So I feel pretty good about the fact that I didn't watch hardly any of it. And by all accounts and like watching some of the highlights and stuff, people were saying it was one of the worst games ever. Like it just wasn't competitive. It wasn't that interesting. Even the three on three couldn't save it. You know, it's, we should, I, I wonder like, do you have any ideas how to, there's, I don't think you can save the all-star game. I don't think, I don't know if there's any way you can do it. Okay, so I'm the opposite of you. I never, ever, ever watch it, never try to watch it, don't care. But I went this year and covered it for CP. Uh, it was not fun to watch. It doesn't have much appeal, and I don't know that there's anything you can do. Like, every All-Star game in every league basically stinks because there's no intensity. There's no emotion. It doesn't... I Like, I don't think there's anything you can do to make it better. The only thing I would suggest is just going back to one game, maybe do... F- I don't know, two 20-minute periods, East versus West, keep that $1 million prize just to kind of give a little bit of incentive. But I don't know. I just think you have to accept that it's not going to be good. The the interesting part about actually being there uh, and seeing in in particular with Matthews is how much of a star he was um, and how already like he is like a presence league-wide. Uh, like just seeing him at the hotel... Um, fans were swarming him um and it was just interesting to see how his appeal is kind of already at that level and where it's going to go i think is pretty interesting like he the leafs haven't had a guy like this i guess since i've covered the team and maybe ever well i this i came out yesterday that his jersey's the number two seller behind crosby league wide i thought that was i mean obviously that's he's a new player in the league and people don't have the jersey yet and the Leafs put out a new jersey and there's all these different factors but you go to the ACC now and it's you look down as we do from the press box and it's mostly Matthews jerseys now whereas it used to be Kessel there were a lot of them and some Phaneuf and some Reimer now it's like Matthews is very heavily dominates the jerseys that we see um was it is that the first time you've been to an all-star game no I went in Ottawa one year I don't remember what that was didn't really love it like it's I don't know the the only good thing is you get to talk to all the players from all different teams so for me not just doing Leafs it's good 
But I will tell you, like, as far as the Matthews thing is related, so my mom lives in California, and she came to meet me at the hotel to have dinner on this Sunday night. And I wasn't done my work at that point when she was there at the hotel. So I, like, kind of grabbed her, rushed her up so I could finish my work. And the first thing she asked me when she saw me is, who's Austin? Who is this Austin guy? Because she doesn't know anything about hockey. She lives out in California. And I had to explain to her like who he was and his whole deal. And she goes, he looks like he's 19. I said, yeah, he's, he's 19. He's a, he's a pretty big star. Um, but like even the reaction to him at the game, he got a pretty decent applause. Uh, I just think it's interesting in the, the Toronto concept. Like I was looking, and obviously his potential we've talked about. They haven't had a Hart Trophy winner since 1944 or 45, Ted Kennedy. So it just kind of shows you like where he could go. Like Matt Sundin was obviously a great player, Borea Salming. But this guy has a chance to be like top five. And it seems like the league is already catching on to that. Yeah, the comments from the other players were really interesting. They were kind of recognizing him as the next wave of, of I guess superstar is the right word, but it, something even maybe beyond that. Uh, I I, remember I wrote a thing last week about, how, about award winners. There hasn't been a Leaf winning a major league award since 1993. Doug Gilmore got the Selkie. I mean, like not counting the Lady Bing and like the Fringe Awards. And uh, and uh, Pat Burns won Coach of the Year that year too. So it's been since '93, since you and I were not very old. I was 12 years old. That's the last time that a Leaf has won a major award. And this year, it kind of feels like Babcock potentially is in the running for Coach of the Year. Matthews for the Calder, I think, is still the leading candidate. Although you know the scoring race is is getting interesting with Marner and Line there. Um, I think Matthews is going to ultimately get it, but but we'll see. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there's more, and people are talking about Frederick Anderson, who I, I don't think is going to be able to get in there, not with the numbers that Dubnik and, and stuff has, but there's just more star quality or something to this Leafs team than in the past. Yeah, and that's like a really big change. And like Marner could also win the Calder Trophy. And I think uh, you hit on something that I was trying to remember that I wanted to talk to you about. Um Oh, I know what it is. I, like, I'm re- I'm going to be really curious, and we'll see how he plays in the second half. But I'll be really curious to see if he gets Hart Trophy votes, if they get into the playoffs, and he continues at this pace. Because one of the arguments that is starting to drive me nuts a little bit is this age thing. Because he's so young, blah blah blah, he can't be good. And like, it, like it doesn't matter. Like, either you're good or you're you're not. Doesn't really matter how old you are. And if they get into the playoffs given what the expectations were, given how many young guys are dressing, given the role he plays, both he and, and Babcock will deserve mention, at least in those conversations. And I'll be interested to see how that takes place. I wonder, too, if... So the Dallas game, Matthews led the forwards in ice time as uh, Babcock wanted them to make a push to get back into the game. I wonder if that's going to happen more and more. Like, I think Matthews can play a lot more than he did in the first 47 games or whatever of the season. He was only averaging under 18 minutes a game. I wonder if, like, I kind of think the Leafs are going to, they've had kind of a charmed existence the last two or three months where they've put up that great record and everything. Their schedule is so, I know this is, we're going to be talking about this, but their schedule is going to be crazy. I wonder if, they should start playing Matthews a lot more or if they're going to have to play Matthews a lot more and lean on him more to try and 
win games. They're going to be like they've led in so many games. I wonder if they're trailing in more games. They're going to have to lean more on Marner and Matthews to try and. And they were playing together in that Dallas game a lot in the last two periods, and they looked pretty good together. Maybe that's kind of like a super line Babcock will put together when they're trailing in games. See, I think it might be the opposite because, like, wouldn't if you're Mike Babcock, aren't you going to be concerned with wearing him down? Like, he hasn't done this before. This is a way different schedule from anything he's probably ever encountered, playing this many games. And before that Dallas game, I believe it was 35 games and 69 nights. I don't know. Maybe he has to spread it around more. And it'll be interesting to see like if he does that more often. And it, I know the parallel between what Toronto has is with Chicago, the Taves, Kane, Matthews, Marner. Kane and Taves is kind of like, I think they call it something like their break the glass idea or something like that in Chicago where when Joel Quenville needs offense he puts Taves with Kane and otherwise they kind of play together I wonder if that becomes like a a thing that Mike Babcock goes to in situations where he feels like in a game like that let's see if we can get a goal put these two guys together because otherwise I kind of agree with the idea that it makes sense to keep them apart what do you think yeah no I mean well it's worked so well for them too so I'm not saying that like you I don't know I just I can kind of, I'm sure we're going to get into this, I can kind of see some adversity coming for this team more than there has been of late. And it's going to be interesting how Babcock reacts to that. I just wonder if his part of his reaction is going to be to lean more on Matthews and that, I don't know. I mean, their seasons, whether or not they make the playoffs, they're at, they're at about, what, 50 or 60% chance to make it right now. Whether or not they make it, I think, probably lives and dies with Matthews and Anderson and how well the young players can continue over a crazy final sprint to the finish here. But see, I don't think they need to... Like, it's not like they have... The, the one thing that they have is balance. Like, they have... It's not like the, there's this crazy massive... Like, there's a drop-off, obviously, but like... A Bozak Van Riemsdyk Martin line is pretty good. You're going to want to use that. Van Riemsdyk or Kadri and Nylander is a pretty good offensive combination. Like it's not like you've got scrub lines that you're like they did in the past where they had to lean on Kessel, Van Riemsdyk, Bozak to get goals. Maybe they just end up playing that fourth line way less, which we've seen. Like maybe those guys just play four or five minutes a night, which basically is is silly that they don't have a fourth line that they can use more often that can actually get them goals. Uh, but maybe that's what they do. I don't know. I And the other thing, too, is I think they're going to have more injuries up front than they had. They're not going to go the whole year with all of their forwards healthy except Ben Smith. So it's it's going to be a really interesting finish. You know, I, I get the sense that fans in Toronto and, and media have been kind of riding this wave where coming into the year there were no expectations, and then the Leafs play – played pretty well for the first two months, but there still were pretty low expectations. And then they kept playing well, and they put together that big streak. What were they, 9-1-1 one, and one or something there at one point? So good on the road. And then all of a sudden, the expectations were like, okay, this team's making the playoffs. Are they going to be able to pass Ottawa? Are they going to be able to? And now I look at all the teams coming behind them. Like I don't think Florida's done. I don't think Carolina's done. I don't think, I don't know if Tampa's done. Boston's coming. Philadelphia. I mean, like, there's all of the teams that they're around, even like, even like the Islanders are really hot right now, right? Have they won like five or six in a row or something like that? So the Leafs are going to have to be better than they've been their last six games if they're going to make it in. Yeah, and 
I don't know the sense. I don't know if you get the sense, but it seems like Leaf fans are like still cautiously optimistic, and and part of that is the history of the team with all the different collapses. This is a different team for the most part. Like I think it's what's it like? Kadri, Menreems, Dyke, Bozak, Riley, Gardner, basically, and yeah, that would be the only guys in Komarov. Maybe the only guys left over, kind of from that era. Uh, but let's get into the schedule because the schedule is pretty much the big thing. They're playing basically every other night. I think the biggest question mark with the schedule is the goalie. Um, who knows, like if if Anderson can a play as well as he has, which is hard because he's played probably a bit above his head, and b if he can stay healthy. Those are two humongous questions. I think the Leafs are completely doomed if if Anderson is. I mean, they're still giving up a lot of shots. I think he's on pace to face the most shots in the league. It's either him or Talbot, based on how many games. I still don't... I know people are high on McElhaney after the his first two starts. I don't trust him. And I thought his relief appearance in Dallas was really poor. So I would be concerned about... I think there's seven back-to-backs left. that So he's going to have to play at least seven. Six or seven more games he's going to have to play. And I don't know about Anderson. I mean, I know... Maybe he deserves the benefit of the doubt with how good he has been since late October, but that that and potential injuries would probably be my my biggest concern. And the other thing too is that blue line; it's it's very Jekyll and Hyde without Riley there. It's you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what you're going to get from like Marinchin has looked really good in some games and then really bad in some games and on some goals against. I thought Hunwick and Polak were really bad against Dallas. They just don't have enough depth, so they need Riley back, and they need to make sure they don't rush him back, and he's not 100% Riley. I think they've made a, a mistake in how much they're going to play Anderson. Like, I, If he plays 65 games, that's way too much. Like, to, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not. Maybe I'm overreacting Like because I think I looked at it at some point this year. It's like 10 guys about each year who play 60 games or more. But that's just a really big jump to ask of a guy in one year. Well, he's on pace for, I think, 68. And if McElhinney only plays the back-to-backs, not including relief appearances like he had in Dallas, if he only plays, a, then he's going to play 67. Anderson's going to play 67. It's a lot. It's a lot of games. So, yeah. But I, I think Babcock's competitiveness is going to lean towards using him to the complete maximum. And that's what I was wondering with with uh, Matthews is when it gets down to the crunch time, let's say the Leafs are two points out of a playoff spot and there's two weeks left in the season. I wonder if Matthews, we're going to start seeing him play 21 minutes a night the rest of the way. And I agree with you about McElhaney. I don't, I don't see it. Like there's a reason why a team at the top of the NHL standings or pretty close to it decided to get rid of him in the middle of the season. Like that, there, he's not anything special and he knows that they know that he's a backup, but you got to be able to play him a little bit more. And I, I, I was with you on Jonas Enroth. I thought they should have given him more of a chance, and I'll be curious to see if that ends up biting them. You know, you, you could use a backup. I think we've seen like across the league that if you have a backup who is at least pretty competent, like look at what James Reimer's done in Florida, and that's a unique situation. But you need a guy who can play more than just back to backs. I would think a little bit more at least. I think that's one of the things they need to add in the offseason is a better backup, for sure. I mean, 
if you can get Anderson down to 60 to 62 games, I think that makes a lot more sense than 67 or 68 and just playing the crap out of the guy. What, the funny thing is, is if you look at Columbus, they've been using those two young guys as the backup goalies, and they've been terrible. They've been really bad. Their numbers are like, I last I looked, it was like 858 and like 870. Like it was just, so all the fans in Columbus, every time I'm talking about McElhaney, and he struggled against Dallas for sure. You know, if he would have made a couple more saves, I think he let in three goals on the first six shots he faced. If he would have made a couple more saves, then the Leafs might have been able to come back in that game because they dominated on the shot clock in the second and third period. Well, and you mentioned Mike Babcock's like competitive nature. I wonder if in some of these back-to-back situations, when they get closer to the playoffs, if he just plays them both nights. Like I, I actually, now that I think about it, he will. He will, like, if they're right in the thick of that race and they need points, he will play him both nights. And I think this is, like, we've talked about it before. I think it's sort of the Achilles heel a little bit with Mike Babcock, and I think it's probably a coaching thing bigger than just him, where they they, they just want to win. And so, like, if, if the choice is between Freddie Anderson on a back-to-back and Curtis McElhaney and they need the points, he is putting Anderson in. And as you know, and it's been documented, goalies on the second half of back-to-back are statistically worse like they give you a worse chance to win but like in your mind you're just like this is my number one guy I'm gonna play him it's rolling the dice a little bit it's rolling the, I mean I think one of the great things about Mike Babcock is his is like huge competitiveness and like pushing his guys to get like every half a percentile out of everybody and but you just we're just questioning if it if it's going too far what's what's next on our list here I can't read that. You're going to have to. We're we're at my house today, so there's no killer Charlie Fish. Riley, okay. Well, we. I mean, I mentioned him a little bit. I just. It's interesting that he keeps saying. At practice, he's skating on the top pair. I didn't see what the was happening at practice in St. Louis today when we're recording this, but. He continues to skate on the top pair in practice, but then when it comes time to a game, he's not ready. I don't know. Have you seen anything from what Riley looks like when he's skating? And No. <laughs> but I guess what, what's interesting to me is is kind of how they've played this in terms of the optics publicly. Like, So he gets hurt in that game against Buffalo. Uh, Babcock says he's day-to-day. And anybody who doesn't know, Mike Babcock, day-to-day means 10 days, 7 to 10 days. Uh, I don't remember what day that it was more than a week ago, basically he's been out, but I think it makes sense to not rush him given how the injury looked, given the propensity we've seen from Babcock sometimes to kind of push guys to come back sooner than maybe they'd like, who knows what, you know, how quickly he'll come back, but let's talk about their defense without him. I think it showed exactly what you mentioned before. They're not as deep. And we knew that like you take away the number one defenseman from a defense that's not especially deep, and they are going to be worse, right? Like, it's 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 basically that simple. But what I think we've seen is when Riley does come back, Marincin should be playing. And it'll be interesting to see how he puts those puzzle pieces together when Riley does come back. I'm sure some people are listening to this and saying, no, not Marincin. I mean, some, like, he's one of the most polarizing... I, I We always talk about Jake Gardner as a polarizing guy. I think Marincin's even more so because a huge part of the fan base doesn't think he can play at all. And then, but he's had some good games. Like when he looks good, you don't notice him that much. He can play relatively big minutes. 
I think the thing is that he panics with the puck, and that's what drives people crazy because sometimes they give up goals. And the other thing, too, is against Dallas, there was one play. I can't remember who scored the goal. I think it was the Faxa goal where it, it, there was a rebound, and he didn't get the the player stick or the body or anything. Marincin was kind of just there and didn't do anything about it. And it's what people say is that he's fans don't like that he's he's soft. The things that he does well, you don't notice. Kind of, I think is the thing with Marincin. Yeah. When he first came back from his injury, which kept him out a while, you didn't notice him. Like he just made simple plays, and you didn't notice him all that much. I guess the question is, if you're going to put him back, where do you put him, and who comes out? Because, like we talked about before. He likes Polak on the penalty kill. He likes, we know he likes Hunwick. So, like, who comes out? Do you take out Carrick? Do you take out one of Hunwick or Polak? I think that's probably the answer, but I'm just not sure it's something he'll do. So, when they've been practicing, they it looks like they're going to sit Hunwick. It looks like it's going to be Marinch and Polak on the third pair. And then he keeps Riley, Zaitsev, and Gardner Carrick together and Marinch on the third pair. But. Marincin was just okay. He was Marincin was sixth on the on the team in defense in ice time against Dallas, and I think that that was partly because of how he played. So he might the practice Monday. Marincin was penciled in ahead of Hunwick. That might change by the time Riley gets back. It's interesting. I'll be curious to see what he says. Let's get to um, the rookie of the month stuff. You had the number. What's the number? The Mitch Marner obviously named the rookie of the month for January. Um, Matthews has been a rookie of the month and I believe Neilander for October has been a rookie of the month. That's a record you told me. What is the record? Say. <laughs> no team's ever had three, which makes sense. I mean, when would a team ever have three rookie? I don't even know how long they've done rookie of the month, but no team has had three rookies of the month. Most teams don't have three rookies. It's like, seriously, like it's very unusual that there aren't very many teams in the NHL right now that have three rookies playing a role. Uh, the Leafs have eight rookies playing a role every night as long as the goats on the roster. So another example of how unusual this Leafs team is, uh, a lot of people, I think, try and take that unusual aspect and say, oh, they're going to hit a wall and it's not going to... I think that's going to be kind of the narrative if the Leafs miss, miss the playoffs. You were talking about the... This is what I meant to say when you were talking about the collapsing. The Leafs don't necessarily have to collapse to miss the playoffs here. I mean, they could just just be kind of okay and miss the playoffs. And like maybe one or two teams behind them plays really, really well. Maybe the pace picks up. We see that a lot where like the Leafs have only been on pace for, even when we're talking about them being in a playoff spot, they've only been on pace for 94 to 96. I think there was one, one point they were on pace for 98 points. For the most part, they have not been on pace for a super high number. With 16 teams in the East, the pace to make the playoffs could definitely increase and it could definitely increase in the Atlantic division because I think Boston is coming. They've got a lighter schedule. They've got a better team than I think their record is right now to make the playoffs as one of the three Atlantic division teams could be tougher than it looks like it's going to be right now. Well, and when you have a month or a month and a half, I think it was like mid December to mid January where you're just winning like they were like, you're just so hot and you're just scoring a ton of goals. Their power play, for a month was like 36% and their penalty kill was outstanding. Eventually that's going to come back down to earth a little bit. The goaltending might slow down. I don't believe in this rookie wall stuff. I just think it's like this, these, I think what happens sometimes in media is there are like these narratives that we follow and I don't know what they're based in. It's just like myth, like sophomore slump is a big one. 
and I don't know if that's a thing. Maybe it got, like maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it's just like, well, they're rookies. They're going to hit a wall at some point. Maybe they'll just be the same, and maybe they'll slow down a little bit because they've been really hot. But maybe it will have nothing to do with them being young or being rookies. I think it was with Luke Shen, and I tried doing research on sophomore slump, but I couldn't find any evidence that it existed. I think that what happens is that people only remember the guys that have crazy huge rookie seasons that were probably unsustainable runs of shooting percentage or whatever it is. And they don't, they don't account for all the guys that had okay rookie seasons and they were great in their sophomore year. And like, I think it kind of balances out and this idea that the rookies are going to hit a wall. I don't know. I don't though. That's pretty far down the list of reasons. I think that they might miss the playoffs. I mean, I, I think they might miss just because there's a lot of teams there. Uh, they haven't had a lot of injuries Their schedules really packed. I'm not really sure what Anderson's going to do. The defense isn't very deep. There's like all these other things that I think are, as opposed to having a lot of rookies. I don't, I don't know. They've got a lot of talent is, and from their rookies. I don't think, I think the rookies are more, they're more of a positive than a negative right now. Well, look at some of the teams. Like I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like Florida, look at all the injuries they've had, like Hubert and Barkov and like uh, Washington is a team that's had no injuries. Like they have missed like, less than 20 or around 20 games man games to injury and then there's some teams that are at like 150 so it's just like a random thing that can hit you all at once have you seen that list of the man games lost and there's a guy that does it on twitter that it's great he's only followed by like 100 people but he does these great updates and he takes like the salary lost to injury and he and he, he organizes it every week i'll have to send out the, the link at some point um, the Leafs are second last in the league, second lowest in terms of salary loss to injury because it's been like Ben Smith. And I, mean, I know Morgan Riley's missed five or six games right here. But um, all of the teams near the top, like the top seven or eight, I think almost all of them are out of the playoffs. And that is not a coincidence. There is a correlation between how much, how important the players you are, salary loss to injury, and, uh, and your record. And most of the teams at the bottom have pretty good records, like Washington. And I think Washington is... 30th and Toronto's 29th and it it can have a huge impact because there's so much parity in the league right now and there's not a lot separating the really good teams from the bad teams and all that so if if you're a team and you lose one or two stars I mean that can be the difference between being the 10th best team and the 23rd best team in the league well look at like one of the teams you mentioned uh Tampa so let's use let's correlate Tampa's losses to Toronto they've had a lot of injuries they haven't been very good but let's say you took Steven Stamkos, let's say Matthews as the comparable, and then you took out Ben Bishop, who they lost for a month. So take out Anderson for a month. Take out Matthews for the whole year, or most of the year, aside from like, I think Stamkos played like 15, 20 games, and then take out Anderson for a month. That would put Toronto in a really bad spot, as it would with most teams. You take out their number one center or number one winger and their number one goalie for extended periods, that would hurt. So if Toronto were to go through something like that, it would obviously hurt them. I think that's pretty safe to say. What? Right. And, and if that had happened, that would be all anyone here was talking about. Whereas it happens with other teams and no one's talking about that. the fact that the Atlantic Division... I actually thought they didn't think the Atlantic Division was going to be bad this year. I mean, I, I kind of liked Florida and Tampa. And uh, I thought Montreal was going to be better. They missed the playoffs last year with Carey Price being out. You know, I thought that it was going to be pretty competitive. Boston it, it still has a, a, a fine team. You know, the, I didn't think it was going to be as easy as it looks like right now. Right now, if you go just based on points percentage, the Leafs have the seventh best record in the East. Like, if you account for them. So they are legitimately a playoff team right now, but it's bunching up. And 
every time they go on a run like this where they're, I, I think they only have two wins in their, yeah, I, I know they only have two wins in the last six games. Anytime they have a, a little slide like that, all these other teams are gaining on them. Okay, we got to wrap. Um, again, we want to mention that the, the podcast is now brought to you by Papsox. And I think that one of the things I hear on podcasts, and I don't know if this is something we should do, is I think if you rate it on iTunes, it helps more people see it. I don't know how any of that stuff works. You, I don't know if you do either. But anyway, like it's really cool that we can actually be associated with Babsox because it's a cool product. So Babsox.ca, the store is open. The store is cool. Anything else you want to add? Check out the socks. They're, they're, and, and check out their store as well. If you go to babsocks.ca, it'll have the address there, but it's on Mount Pleasant. It's next to the Regent Theater. It's really cool space. They put in some boards actually there, so it's kind of like a little hockey uh, rink space. And uh, what Tom and Jake have built as a company in the last little over a year is, is pretty neat. And they're going to have they're going to be expanding beyond just the Babsocks and have more uh, hockey, I guess you call it novelty apparel, and it's it's pretty neat to hear them talk about some of the, the other ideas they're going to have, and I think they're going to be around a long time. It's not just going to be uh, kind of a, a goofy sock that's one-off. Oh, Jonas says I have to wrap it up. Alright, that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.